Lord, thank you that you are always faithful to us, that your faithfulness is fresh every morning, that it is great, and we lift up our voices in gratitude. Help us this day, Lord, to listen and hear your mighty word. May it penetrate our hearts. May it go deep into our souls and radically change how we think and live. Help us, Lord, not to be dismayed by the problems around us, but, Lord, may we be centered on the one who is above us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Do you remember seeing this slide on your TV years ago? It was part of the emergency broadcasting system. It actually ran in the United States from 1963 all the way to 1997. Uh, it was designed, this warning system, to establish and provide the President of the United States with an expeditious method of communicating with all Americans in case there was a war or there was some horrendous uh, national crisis. And the system was never used for an emergency. That's amazing. It was used thousands of times for smaller things like hazardous weather, but it was never used for a national emergency. However, all stations were required to test the system every week. And that's what I remember. Sitting down watching my famous or my, my favorite show, I would hear these words coming from the TV set. This is a test. For the next 30, or 30 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. And then the attention signal would begin. <laughs> okay, that's good. Attention signal is code for obnoxious noise, and that it is. That noise would come over the TV set, and everyone would run and try to turn it down, and then you'd wait. 60 seconds is a long time, or 30, or whatever it was. And then the noise would finally quit, and you'd hear these words. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. Broadcasters, in cooperation with the FCC and federal, state, local authorities, have developed this system to annoy you, to inform you, in the event of an emergency. If this had been an actual emergency, you would have been instructed to tune in to one of the broadcast stations to find out what to do. And then he would say, this concludes the test of the emergency broadcast system. Remember that? I just wish all of life, without the attention signal, all of life had that kind of warning. That before I got into a difficult situation, I would hear God say to me, Don, this is a test. I'm not planning to wipe you out. This is an opportunity for you to grow and develop in the Christian life. And then when it was done, I would hear God say, this concludes the test I have for you today, and notice you are still alive. Something like that. But life doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, we find ourselves into the test before we know what's going on. Perhaps we failed the test, Life is a series of tests. And God is the one who's sending them to us. And he has a purpose and plan for all of them. And that's what the Israelites found out as soon as they crossed the Red Sea 
and began their way to Mount Sinai. Let me encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. And we're going to learn that life is a test. In fact, we could put it this way. Life is like a long journey through a dry desert filled with a series of tests. The first test that the Israelites are going to face, the first one we want to look at, is Exodus chapter 15. It takes place in the desert of Shur, and it's going to take place at a city called Marah. Now, the map gives us some indication of where this might be. You'll recall if you were here last week, and this is debated exactly where they crossed the Red Sea, but we suggested it was the northern part of the Gulf of Suez. So they were actually on the western side of the Gulf. They crossed across the Red Sea, found them on the eastern side. Uh, the scripture is going to tell us, chapter 15, verse 22, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. So somewhere down the coast, on the east side of the Gulf, is this place that received the new name of Mara. I think they might have had enough water to hold them for a day, day and a half, but you're talking about over two million people. That's a lot of water. Three days in the desert. And by the way, they're not wandering in the desert. That comes later. They are in the desert at God's command. They are following the cloud. They're right where God wants them. He said, don't take the quick road. That would destroy you into the land of the Philistines. I want you to take the longer road because I have a few tests for you to grow you. And so now they're in the desert. If you've ever walked across a desert for any period of time, you'll know that it's not usually an enjoyable experience. Someone has described the desert of Shur as a uh, tangled maze of mountains piled in some inextricable, confusing manner. A waterless wasteland, a plain of gravel. And that's what they were walking on. No longer did they have the lush valley of the Nile no longer the choice, albeit not the greatest diet of the leeks and the onion, the garlics of Egypt. The Bible tells us that when they went through, across that desert, they were experiencing some of the hardships of life similar to what you and I experience. I mean, going across a desert, think of it, the glare of the sun in your eyes. Your feet are hot because of the sand and weary because of the, of the walk. Tongue gets parched, lips are blistered, face windblown. And you've got to have water, and after three days, you long for your thirst to be quenched, and they see in the distance some kind of oasis, and they get all excited and rush to it, maybe pick up their step, and when they get there and drink the water, it's bitter. Talk about disappointment on top of disappointment, just like life. It's a struggle. It's like walking through a long, dry desert. And disappointment after disappointment comes. And so the Bible tells us in verse 24 of 
chapter 15 that the people of God grumbled. That became the national pastime of the Israelites, grumbling, and they were good at it. What are we to drink, Moses? How do you, you like to be responsible for two and a half million people? By the way, Moses knew this terrain. He'd been here before. He and Aaron met at Mount Sinai, and they traveled north, the same path to go to Egypt to deliver the people of God, and now they're going across the same terrain. And Moses, by faith, had embraced the promise of God, you will come back to Mount Sinai. I am with you. Follow my word. Follow the cloud. And Moses demonstrated faith. But the people of God, they were fickle. I believe, help my unbelief. I'm up like the wave and down like the wave. And so they grumbled against Moses. Moses cries out in verse 25 to the Lord, and the Lord shows Moses a piece of wood, threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he, what does it say? Tested them. Life is a test. A test from God. And the test is to reveal what's in us, usually grumbling, and to reveal who's leading us, Jehovah. To point to the one who is all-sufficient and all-wise and all-powerful. He said in verse 26, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, by the way, that's four different ways to say the same thing. If you simply do what I tell you to do, if you obey, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought upon the Egyptians, primarily the diseases that were the result of the plagues because of their disobedience. This is not a intended to say if you eat a certain diet then you'll have none of the diseases that came upon the Egyptians there may be nutritional things that were found in the diet of the Old Testament that would bring healing to a soul but don't get the spiritual and the physical mixed up obedience will bring blessing and none of the diseases on the Egyptians because of their disobedience will come upon you for I am Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. When God called Moses, he revealed a new name to him. That is a new name for God, Yahweh. Y-H-W-H, no vowels, only consonants. That name that should not be spoken. And many Jews today, even when they're printing, like in English, will print G-D because they don't want to mention the name God, even in writing. Here is Yahweh. I will see to it. I am that I am, Moses. I am with you. I am the God of your fathers. I am the one who will bring you safely into the land. I am Moses, and Moses believed it. Now he gives them the name, I am the one who heals you. Whatever the problem, I'm the healer. Whatever the disease, I'm the cure. Now, in the Old Covenant, it might have had a little more of a physical perspective to it, but certainly in the New Covenant, with the revelation of the epistles, we find out that we are not promised physical health simply because we obey God. 
But Jehovah Rapha is still the one who heals. He's the one who heals our spiritual sickness. He's the one who heals our physical problems when that is his perfect plan and will. He is today the God who heals. And there are some good and godly physicians in our our church, and I praise God for every one of you, but Jesus is the great physician, and Jehovah Rapha is the one who heals, and you need to trust your great skill into his perfect hand. So then it says in verse 27, they left Mara and went to Elam. Don't know exactly how many days, but they traveled down to Elam. And there were 12 springs there and 70 palm trees, and that's where they camped. God proves us at Mara, but he pampers us at Elam. And one Bible scholar put it this way, there are more Elams than Maras in our life. God's blessings are rich. Think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me by the paths of water, quiet streams. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Paths of renewal, paths of blessing. And yet the only way you can reach Elam is through the desert, by walking in obedience to God. Life is a long journey through a dry desert filled with all kinds of testings, but God is there to heal, and God is there to guide, and God is there to bless. Let me tell you another story. This one is found in chapter 16, second episode. With the people of God, life is a test. They were tested in Exodus 15. They're tested in Exodus 16. We read in verse 1, the whole Israelite community left Elam, and they came to the desert of Sin. That's an appropriate name, because they're going to do quite a bit of it there. Elam, uh, uh, this, this area where they stopped, is somewhere between Elam and Sinai. And if you notice on the map, and again, we don't know exactly where it is, but we have some sense of where the wilderness of Sin is, and the desert region is around that, And so they traveled now quite a bit closer to the Sinai. They'd been traveling now for two months and 15 days. God had been leading them every step of the way, not wandering in the wilderness, following the command of God. And yet, it says in verse 2, in the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. What's the problem now? Well, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. If only we had been victims of the plague. At least there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Boy, Moses has got a tough job. (laughs) Two million people complaining. I think I count the word complain seven times in the NIV in this chapter. So Moses must have cried out to the Lord, and the Lord responds, verse 4, I'll rain down bread from heaven. That's no big deal. I mean, I'm planning to provide for you. Yeah, I'll send bread from heaven. And I want you to go out each day and gather enough, just enough, for that one day. In this way, I will what? Test. 
verse 5 says, verse 4. I will test you to see whether you'll follow my directions or not. The testings of God are to reveal what's in us and to show us who is above us, who God is, and to see whether we're serious about walking in obedience to him. I have just described most of the problems that you will face, at least an important perspective on every challenge and difficulty you face in life. God is testing you to see what is in you and to show you that he is with you, to show you that he is God, to see whether you will obey him or not. He says, my instructions are clear. Gather enough for every day. And oh, by the way, on the sixth day, on Friday, I want you to gather a double portion because I'm not going to give you anything on the Sabbath day. Saturday, no bread from heaven. So Moses and Aaron, verse 6, said to the community, in the evening you're going to know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you're going to see his glory because he's heard your grumbling. And notice that your grumbling is against God. Wait a minute. If you go back to verse 2, it says clearly they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Well, look at the last part of verse 8. Who are we, Moses says, that you should grumble against us? We're nobodies. We're the messenger. If you grumble against us, you're grumbling against God. In fact, every complaint in life is us proclaiming our dissatisfaction with God. The providence of God has come upon me, and it's a horrible providence. It's a frowning providence. It's a difficult way of life. God, what are you doing? Every complaint, whether it's aimed at a person or a thing, an event, a situation, is a complaint against God. And that's how you fail the test. Verse 9, Moses said to Aaron, told Aaron, say to the entire community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. That's a scary thought. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the grumblings and the rejoicings, beholding the evil and the good. But while Aaron was speaking to the whole assembly, verse 10 says, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, apparently from the cloud, I've heard the grumblings of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread, and then you'll know that I am the Lord your God. That's grace, my friend. He gives grace in light of grumbling when we don't deserve it. And sure enough, verse 13, that evening quail covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost appeared on the ground floor. When they said, saw that, they looked at each other and said, what is this? And that caught on. The nickname for the honey-like wafer, white like coriander seed, as verse 31 tells us, they called manna. So God gave them manna in the morning and meat in the evening. He said, now don't save any for the morning because if you do, it will rot. Verse 20, however, some paid no attention to the word of God. 
Doesn't that sound like us? Paid no attention to Moses. They kept some of it till morning, and it was full of maggots and began to smell. But when they got a double portion on Friday for the Sabbath, on Saturday, that double portion didn't stink, and there were no maggots. That's amazing. And God said, now don't go out on the Sabbath because I'm not going to provide any. Nevertheless, verse 27, some people went out on the seventh day looking for food. (laughs) Do we never get it right? Don't take too much, we take it. Don't go out, I won't provide, we go out. Instead of simply obeying the voice of God. And the Lord said to Moses, I want you to keep some of this manna in a jar and I want you to put it in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, there was no Ark of the Covenant yet, so Moses is giving us an editorial note. God said, keep some of it in a jar for generation after generation, and when they did build the Ark, that's where the manna went. And it was a testimony of God's faithfulness, and they ate that manna for 40 years. God provided just what they needed, just for the day. And his provision was constant for 40 years. Let me tell you one more story. And this is chapter 17. When I say story, I'm not talking fiction. I'm talking history. This actually happened. But it's the encounter, it's the episode in chapter 17 that tells us life is a test. And now they go to a town called Rephidim that will have a new name, at least for a while, called Massa. Verse 1 says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, and they went from place to place as the Lord commanded, not wandering, following. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink there. Now, not exactly sure where Rephidim is, Some Bible atlases locate it closer to the shore of the Gulf of Suez and still a little closer to Mount Sinai, but not there yet. They've traveled quite a ways. And they've got the same problem they had before. Hey, I dealt with this once. Don't you hate it when the same problem keeps coming back? Well, you need to know that the devil is not omniscient, but he is a fast learner. And if a little water trips you up, or the absence thereof, be sure that your life will be filled with episodes of no water. If it's lust, he'll provide abundant temptation. If you give in to the sin of being drunk, all kinds of opportunities to imbibe. You see, that's the way the devil works it. The devil uses tests to destroy us. God uses tests to perfect us. And they're part of life. And he is a plan. So, the scripture tells us there was no water there. And verse 2, they quarreled with Moses. Now that sounds a little more intense than grumbling. Grumbling maybe is a little more private. Quarreling is like a, a public fight. And it is more intense because verse 4 says they wanted to stone him. They weren't talking about stoning him before. Isn't that amazing? I like what F.B. Meyer says. When they came across the, the Red Sea, Exodus 15 says, Moses sang a song and all Israel joined in the song. God has destroyed the rider and the enemy in the sea. They sang the song, but now they want to kill Moses. F.B. Meyer said they turned from minstrels to mutineers. 
in just a few days' time. And that's us. For life is like a long journey through the desert filled with many testings. And the Lord was with us every step of the way. And the test reveals what is in us, which is usually grumbling, but reveals that God is above us and with us to provide for our every need. Moses then says in verse 3, or the people say, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children die of thirst? And so in verse 4, Moses cries out, What am I going to do with these people? Have you ever said that? I mean, if you're an employer, I know you've said it about your employees. If you've got kids, you've said it about the kids, haven't you? What am I going to do with these kids? And the kids have said it about you. What am I going to do about these parents? And God has said it about you. What am I going to do with you? What am I going to do with you? I've shown you my faithfulness in a cloud and in the parting of the sea, in the ten plagues and the great wonders. I've shown you miracle after miracle. I've provided water for you and manna from heaven. And you still don't know that I'm with you? The Bible tells us, verse 5, the Lord answered Moses, I want you to walk ahead and do something. Oh, by the way, I, I forgot to mention in verse 3, Moses said to the people, why do you quarrel with me? And why do you put the Lord to the test? There it is. And that's why the place is called Masa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, verse 7. Because they put the Lord to the test. How do you test the Lord? Last part of verse 7. When you doubt that God is with you, when he said he would be. When God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When he says, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. When God gives promise of his precious uh, presence. When he gives promise of his intervention. Of his guarantee to help us. And we say, is God among us or not? We are testing God. Our grumbling turns into quarreling, which is testing the God of heaven. And he's the one who should be giving the test, not us. So the Lord tells Moses, walk ahead. Take the staff that you've used in so many situations the staff that turned into a snake, the staff that made the waters of the Nile like blood, the staff that was lifted in the air and brought lice from heaven, the staff that parted the Red Sea. I want you to bring the staff and strike the rock, and when you do, water will come from the rock and the people will drink. You say, wait, wait a minute, I thought Moses got in trouble for striking the rock with a staff. He did, but that's later. Sometimes the commands of God actually change i don't mean i don't mean the the word of god that is forever settled in heaven i mean maybe the plan of god for you sometimes changes maybe he wants you to be here and then later on he leads you to be there and the bible tells us that they grieve the heart of god by not believing that he was with them now, I take all of these episodes together because they're connected by that word test. 
But I want you to know that there's a lesson from each story. And the lesson is this. God provides for us in our wilderness journey. We learn from Exodus chapter 15 that God provides and he causes the bitter to become sweet. God provides and gives us bread from heaven. God provides and gives us water from the rock. When the difficulties of life seem too harsh, he can make them sweet. When it seems as though we have no sustenance, he provides bread from heaven. And when we're thirsty and dry, the scripture says, he renews us by satisfying our thirst with good things. The life lesson is this. (laughs) Life is like a long journey through a dry desert with many testings. And God is there all the way to test us to see what's in our heart and to show us that he's the way. And along the way, he makes the bitter sweet, and he gives us bread from heaven, and he gives us water from the rock. But here's the kicker. All of this points to one thing, one person, Jesus. You say, Pastor, how do you get from all of this in Exodus to Jesus? Well, it's pretty easy when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I've got a couple verses on the screen from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's interesting that Paul starts out in verse 1 by saying, Don't be ignorant about what happened to Israel. Our fathers passed under the cloud, and they passed through the sea, and they were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. What are you saying, Paul? Your spiritual conversion is just like what happened to Israel. They were taken out of bondage, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And they were baptized in Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. That's like your conversion experience. And now you're walking free in a new land filled with testing. And then he says in verse 3, that you all ate the same spiritual food and you all drank that same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. This is an Old Testament picture of Jesus. Maybe this is what Jesus preached in Luke 24 when he talked to the two men on the road to Emmaus. See, I'm in the writings of Moses in Exodus 15 and 16 and 17. So we see that Jesus, for instance, in Exodus 16, he's the bread from heaven. You say, wait a minute, Paul didn't say anything about bread in 1 Corinthians 10. Well, he said they ate spiritual food, but he, how do you know that's Christ? John chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then a bunch of people follow him, and Jesus said, you're only following me because you were filled with food. Don't follow me for bread that perishes. Follow me for bread that never perishes. They said, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they called it bread from heaven. And Jesus said, you know, that's true, but the true bread from heaven is not what Moses gave the people. This is John chapter 6 and verse 32. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is a person. It's he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. 
I'm the bread. He who believes in me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. There it is. He's the bread from heaven. He's the water from the rock. And oh, by the way, I think he's the wood that was thrown in Exodus 15 into the bitter water of Mara. For F.B. Meyer says, this has to be a picture of the cross. Thrown into the bitterness of life. It's the gospel that makes life sweet. And if indeed we are authorized to see Jesus as the bread and Jesus as the water, could not Jesus be the wood? It is the person and work of Jesus Christ that makes life worth living, that makes the gospel, that, that makes all the difficulties of life sweet like the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, my friend, you never advance beyond the gospel. You only advance in the gospel. The more you learn about the gospel and live the gospel, the more freedom and joy comes to your soul. The more you love the person of Christ and enter into his finished work, yeah, you're saved, but you, you glory more in it and you understand it more and you look at the cross every day so that when a loved one dies, life is bitter. But the gospel can even make death sweet. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? Because they're in a far better place. And we cry because of the separation and the loss. It pains our soul. It's a bitterness of life. We must endure. But the gospel makes it sweet. Or should I say Jesus makes it sweet. And when we learn that all of life is a journey through a wilderness a dry desert with many testings, and God is there to reveal what's in us, grumbling, to reveal that he is with us, to test us, to see that whether, whether we will obey him or not. The whole point is this. Will you learn to live your life looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? We sang a moment ago a great hymn that has these words. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriends you. Let's pray. Lord, we are all pilgrims on a difficult journey and sometimes we fail the test. Sometimes we're filled with complaining and quarreling and testing you instead of trusting you. Instead of understanding that behind the frowning providence you hide a smiling face, that your plan for us is good, deliverance and freedom, and to provide from us water from the rock and bread from heaven and turning the bitter sweet by letting us live every day of our life in the fullness of the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, may we love him more. May we lean on him throughout every day. May we learn to glory in his presence and sing his praises. And say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. We ask these things in his wonderful, lovely name. Amen.